the race is on. Weatherly leads down the front stretch, but Roberts grabs position one, soaring in It's Sunday, 1961, at a racetrack in your town. The sun is shining and the beer is flowing. Crowds stand shoulder to shoulder watching stock cars swap paint as they roar around an oval speedway at over 150 miles per hour. Look at them run! Something new is on the horizon, on the racetrack and in America. The baby boomer generation is hitting high school. The biggest generation of Americans of all time is reaching driving age. Almost three and a half million Americans were born in 1946, nearly 20% more than ever before. And in 1961, all those kids are turning 15. Unlike their parents, this generation grew up amidst 1950s prosperity. In other words, they'll have money to buy cars. And they want them now. These young drivers see cars as, as their escape. Their social lives revolve around them. They cruise main streets with a radio blasting. Clicks of them gather at drive-up hamburger joints and drive-in movies. They make out, and then some, in their cars. The automobile is the driving force of a youthful, hormone-fueled sense of freedom. Both Ford and Chevy can see it coming, and they're gearing up to fiercely compete for this new youth market. What do teenage kids want? They want horsepower, and they want it now. 60 miles per hour in under 10 seconds, thank you very much. And the best way to grab the attention of these young buyers is by winning races. Turns out the racetrack is the world's biggest showroom for these cars. You see, every time a Chevy or a Ford wins a race, the sales tick up the next day. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. For more than 60 years, the biggest business story in the country has been the cutthroat rivalry between the nation's two largest brands, Ford and Chevrolet. In the early 1960s, this rivalry is about to produce the most exciting cars ever built. But the two men behind these Fords and Chevys, much like their racers on the track, will be gunning for each other at every turn. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus... Get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com. 
today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Listening to episode three of Ford versus Chevrolet, fast and sexy. The '60s is a decade defined by rivalries. In music, it's the Beatles versus the Stones. In sports, Ali versus Liston. In the space race and the Cold War, USA versus the USSR. A layer of heavy air, 50 miles thick, surrounding the Earth. But in corporate America. There is no bigger battle than Ford versus Chevrolet. It's November 10th, 1960, two days after the historic election of John F. Kennedy. Ford is still stinging from the humiliating failure of the Edsel. Henry Ford II is looking for a dramatic comeback. There is no other option. From his 12th floor corner office of a building known as the Glass House, Ford summons a young sales executive, a fellow named Lee Iacocca. While working as the Philadelphia District Assistant Sales Manager, Iacocca gained national recognition for his hugely popular 56 for 56 campaign. The deal was this. Buy 1956 model Fords with a 20% down payment and $56 in monthly payments for three years. The idea got him fast-tracked to Ford headquarters. Now, as Iacocca rides the elevator in the glass house to Henry Ford's office, he's thinking, this is like being summoned to see God. The receptionist leads him into his boss's office, where he sees pictures of Ford family members on desks, on the walls, everywhere. After a few pleasantries, Ford gets down to business. We like what you are doing for us, but we have something else for you. How would you like to be vice president and general manager of the Ford division? Wow, it's a breathtaking leap. Iacocca swallows hard. He's just 36 years old, and he's just been offered his dream job to bring out the new Fords of the 1960s. Iacocca has a reputation for being able to sell cars like no one else. People joke that after hearing Iacocca talk about a car, they don't know whether to buy it or make love to it. Even then, Iacocca has an idea for a new Ford smoldering in his mind. It's a car that speaks to this hunger for speed and style, a car he believes will be a Chevrolet killer. Meanwhile, a few miles away in Flint, Michigan, gray clouds rise from the smokestacks at Chevrolet like a dragon's breath. The factory is running at high gear. It's 1961, a few days before Christmas. A man in horn-rimmed glasses and slicked side-parted silver hair turns the ignition of a new Chevy Impala Supersport. This is the 46 millionth car made by Chevrolet. Imagine that, 46 million cars. The way Chevys are selling these days, it won't be long before 50 million roll off the assembly line. The man driving this particular Impala is the new boss at Chevy, 
Simon Knudsen. Everyone calls him Bunky, a childhood nickname that has stuck with him now, even at 49. He's the son of Big Bill Knudsen, the single-minded Dane who drove Chevrolet past Ford 20 years ago. Bunky is just weeks into his new job as head of the Chevrolet division. He'll be Chevy's answer to young Iacocca. These two will be slipstreaming one another for years. Bunky Knudsen would stand out as one of the all-time greats. As Knudsen drives the Impala convertible, its 409 V8 engine roars. Such a sweet sound to this generation. And, as it turns out, almost a cultural anthem. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Within a few short months, the Beach Boys would make this car an icon. Yes, Bunky Knudsen is in tune with the spirit of the times. He started his climb early. There's one story above all others that created the Bunky Knudsen legend. At age 14, he was already car crazy, and in 1927, he lobbies his father hard for a Chevy. Dad, you're the boss at Chevrolet. Look, I'm getting old enough to drive. I want a car. Can I have a Chevy? Uh, let me think on that, son. Days later, the elder Knudsen leads his son to the garage. Bunky follows with excited anticipation of a gleaming new car. His father opens the door to... Well, Bunky's not sure what. Here you go, son. Uh, what is what is this, Dad? Your 1927 Chevy, of course. The brand new car is in pieces on the floor. If you can put it together, it's yours. Of course, Bunky succeeds. And within a few years, he leaves MIT with a degree in engineering. Now, at age 49, he's the boss at Chevy, the king of car brands. By all metrics, Bunky Knudsen's first year running Chevy proves a major success. Knudsen sees the baby boomers coming and he courts them with sporty-looking cars with big engines. Teenagers glide fingers longingly over the super sport package on the Impala. Same thing with a Corvair Monza, a racy little number with its engine in the trunk. Meanwhile, Chevy is funneling money into NASCAR, which is turning out to be one of the hottest marketing tools the auto business has ever seen. The racing stock cars are on their way. In 1961, Chevrolets win NASCAR races at Richmond, Columbia, Greenville, and Winston-Salem. In May 1962, six months into Bunky Knudsen's tenure, Chevy stretches its lead over Ford like it's no contest. Chevy's market races past 61%, up from 49% just a year earlier. Sales are on fire. Ford has to respond. But how? In the glass house, Henry Ford II and Lee Iacocca come up with a plan. Iacocca begins to spice up the lineup of Ford cars, quick fixes to challenge the sex appeal of Chevrolet. The boring Ford Falcon Compact becomes the speedier Falcon Sprint. In the Ford Galaxy, buyers can pay extra for a hulking 427 V8, the most powerful Ford engine ever offered in a Ford customer car. 
Oh, and that's another Iacocca strategy, a cheap base model with alluring or essential accessories that bump the price up significantly by the time the salesman hands you the keys. Ford and Iacocca are ready to go back into the ring, and that can only mean one thing. February 23rd, 1963, Daytona Speedway. In the paddock, drivers and mechanics are making last-minute adjustments on new Ford Galaxy 500 stock racing cars, which are packing 427 V8 engines. The Chevy Impalas have their own 427s. Let's pick up the action late in the race. He's out and away in 34 seconds. For the last 100 miles, it's Lorenzo number 28 Ford, Jarrett number 11 Ford, Lund 21 Ford, all out in front. In fourth and fifth, it's Nelson Stacy number 29 Ford, and Dan Gurney number 0 Ford. It's a battle of the Fords. At the 1963 Daytona 500, Ford stuns the motoring world by taking the top five spots. Henry Ford II and Lee Iacocca are ecstatic. Over the next 12 months, the company goes on a rampage, spending unprecedented millions on a campaign to collect checkered flags all over the globe. Stock cars, indie cars, sports cars. Ford's racing campaign gets so much attention that a Sports Illustrated reporter shows up at Ford headquarters looking for comment. Henry Ford II is ready to talk. You worry a lot when you attend races. I've gone to Daytona and watched Richard Petty kill us in his Plymouth. But we keep coming back. One of Ford's underlings leans in to explain the marketing reason that Fords are on the track at every race. You go to a big football game. Say, there are 100,000 people there. But not one of them wants to buy a goddamn football. You go to an automobile race, and there they are. All your potential customers. And the results? They are spectacular. By 1965, Ford is dominating NASCAR. That same year, a Ford-powered car wins the Indy 500. Meanwhile, Ford has built a racing sports car named the GT40 that wins the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1966. That's something no American car manufacturer has ever done. The 1960s is shaping up to be a bonanza for car fans. Both Ford and Chevrolet are on a hot streak of truly great cars. In 1965, you can walk into a Chevrolet dealership and pick up a second-generation Corvette called a Stingray with undulating lines like its namesake. It's one of the most beautiful American cars ever built. And with the optional 425 horsepower engine, it's a freaking monster on the racetrack. Or you can go into a Pontiac dealership and buy a Tempest Le Mans GTO. In the future, muscle car fans will affectionately nickname the GTO the Great One. In Los Angeles, Carroll Shelby has unleashed a vehicle for Ford that he calls the Cobra. It has an eye-popping price tag. It's so sexy, it's featured in the October 1962 issue of Playboy. The Cobra becomes an instant juggernaut on the racetrack, dusting Chevy's Corvettes on tracks all over the nation. Carroll Shelby is a tall, lanky, handsome Texan who went from being an international racing champion to car builder to, well, now, 
motoring icon. How do I know? My name's Carol Shelby, and performance is my business. As influential as these cars become, none can touch the new Ford that Henry Ford II and Lee Iacocca have built. It will thrill car enthusiasts, as well as housewives eager for speed at the touch of the pedal. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It is April 17, 1964, at the World's Fair in New York City. Tens of thousands arrive to find an exotic exhibit put on by Ford Motor Company. People are walking quickly past Henry Ford's quadricycle, the very first vehicle he ever built back in 1896. The true object of their attention, of their desire, is the new car Ford II and Iacocca have cooked up. It's called the Mustang. People can't stop looking at it with its unique grille with a galloping horse on it a long hood, low top, and short rear deck. Inside, there are bucket seats, carpeting, seat belts, and a padded dash. There's nothing on the market like it. Henry Ford II and Lee Iacocca launched the Mustang as a 1964.5 model because it comes out halfway through the year. Iacocca is a master salesman and a marketing genius. He can smell success, and he goes after it. This is the car that dreams are made of. The Mustang appears in a TV ad blitz that hits all three major networks. It's on billboards nationwide. It's even on display in the lobbies of 100 Holiday Inns. Iacocca himself lands on the front covers of the two most influential news magazines simultaneously, Time and Newsweek. What happens next? Not even Iacocca himself could have predicted. It's a sales frenzy the likes of which the car business has never known. The genius of the Mustang? Well, for one, it's simply a newly designed body of a car dropped on top of the already existing Ford Falcon platform. So Iacocca is able to bring the car to market fast and for cheap without retooling the entire assembly line. From the outside, the vehicle looks like an all-new model but most of its guts are parts and pieces already in the pipeline. The Mustang 
is a build-your-own car that can appeal to different customers. It can be a sports car. It can be an economy car. It can be a luxury car. For example, the standard engine is a 101-horsepower inline six-cylinder. But for $75 extra, you can get a 164-horsepower V8. The car can be anything a customer wants and end up costing over $3,500. The Mustang is named for a World War II fighter plane called the P-51 Mustang. And it's styling, red hot and ripe for the 1960s, right when the sexual revolution is revving up and the Beatles hit the airways for the first time. In its first year, the Mustang busts the all-time record with nearly 419,000 sold. But Ford isn't done yet. To beat Chevrolet, Henry Ford II is about to pull yet another bold move. He's going behind enemy lines. It is 1967. At General Motors, the mood is less euphoric. The Ford Mustang is the biggest hit ever, and Bunky Knudsen has just gotten passed over for the post of GM president. Henry Ford II smells blood. He calls Bunky Knudsen. Mr. Knudsen, this is Henry Ford II. I have something I'd like to talk with you about. Should I come to meet with you at your house in, in Gross Point or... Uh... No, 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 no. My wife has some people here. In fact, this meeting requires some discretion. Instead, Henry Ford II drives to Knudsen's home in Bloomfield Hills. He takes an Oldsmobile in hopes of not being spotted. When he gets to Knudsen's house, Henry Ford II pleads with Knudsen to take a job as president of Ford Motor Company with a whopping $600,000 salary. Knudsen's father, Big Bill Knudsen, had gotten his start at Ford back in the days of the Model T. If Bunky takes this job, the Knudsen family will go full circle with Ford. When Bunky takes the job, the executives at General Motors are stunned. This is the biggest executive poach of the year. Henry Ford II hopes that Bunky Knudsen can do something even the Mustang couldn't do. Push Ford past Chevy as America's most popular car brand. For the rest of the decade, Detroit's big three flood the market with powerful muscle cars. These are hot cars. But no one at the time can imagine that decades later, these would be some of the more sought-after machines for car collectors, true American classics, fetching hundreds of thousands of dollars. But only one, only one of these muscle cars can truly rival the Mustang in the sales room. In September 1966, Chevy releases the Camaro Coupe and Convertible. Like the Mustang, the Camaro becomes an instant American icon. And to this very day, it's the second best-selling muscle car of all time. The Camaro and Mustang shift the Chevy-Ford rivalry into a whole new gear. What car fans to this day call the pony car wars. Like the Cold War nuclear race, these cars up the ante with bigger engines, more horsepower. Detroit fortunes grow exponentially. These are the car company's halcyon days. No one in Detroit could possibly predict a new Harvard lawyer would shut down this high-octane party. 
1963. Ralph Nader hitchhikes to Washington, D.C., where he rents a room for $80 a month. Hunched over a typewriter, Nader begins writing a book about car companies. Never mind that he doesn't even own a car. Nader unravels an argument over whether car companies should be considered complicit in the nearly 48,000 car-related deaths that are occurring every year on America's roads. According to Nader, auto executives are more interested in marketing horsepower to consumers than they are in safety. Detroit wins, he reasons, and consumers lose. Nader's book, called Unsafe at Any Speed, comes out just before Christmas in 1965. Over the next year, its message spreads. The book is about the whole car industry, but ultimately, it singles out one model in particular, the Chevrolet Corvair. General Motors wishes to know why I spent an inordinate amount of time on the Corvair. It is because the Corvair is an inordinately dangerous vehicle. General Motors bosses are furious. It's time to squash this pest. They hire private investigators to dig up dirt to discredit Nader. Did he use drugs? Did he engage in any strange sexual behavior? When Nader claims GM is harassing him, the FBI gets involved. Ultimately, in 1968, GM executives get hauled into highly charged Senate hearings. It's standing room only, with television cameras focused on President Jim Roach. Senator Abraham Ribicoff of Connecticut coldly addresses Roach. For the purpose of this committee, we will allow each witness to give his entire statement without interruption. <clears throat> Mr. Roach, you may proceed. Well, let me make clear that I deplore the kind of harassment to which Mr. Nader has apparently been subjected. I am just as shocked and outraged by some of the incidents which Mr. Nader has reported as anyone. And what he says next is directed straight at the committee, but Americans hear it loud and clear. To the extent that General Motors bears responsibility, I want to apologize here and now to the members of this subcommittee and to Mr. Nader. Wow. Nothing like this has ever happened in the car industry, or for that matter, any industry. It is a watershed moment in American culture. For the first time, Americans understand that corporations marketing consumer products do not always have the consumer's best interest in mind. Suddenly, not just cars, but cleaning detergents, insurance policies, all kinds of products and services are now suspect. At Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford II is incensed by Nader's attack, and he makes his sentiments known in a speech. We have a fellow called Nader, and frankly, I don't think he knows very much about automobiles. I hope Congress will consider the problems that they may force on the automobile industry in depth before they pass a law. If they do something irrational... Well, they can upset the economy of this country very rapidly. What is Henry Ford II really saying? Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler together are the driving force of the entire American economy. If the government throws a wrench into manufacturing with new and strict laws, all Americans could pay a huge price. 
On the next and final episode, Nader's fight against the auto industry sets a whole wave of regulation into motion. And that will only be the beginning of Detroit's woes. It must survive an oil embargo and foreign competition that would force the industry to undo years of work and quality failures that will require the big three to actually recall more cars than they sell. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've been listening to, it would be great if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Another way to support us is by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey. And by the way, don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. A.J. Baim wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor, produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say good because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh. so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.